Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. And welcome to everybody to Father's Day 2015 at DCC. Father's Day is that one day each year where my kids spend my money to buy me a gift. I don't know what's wrong with this picture. I don't know, but it's that way every year. Uh, Next year, I'm hoping they just give me cash so I can just put it right back in my wallet. And that's what I'm hoping. (laughs) I love being a dad. I do. I love being a dad. It is one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. I love being a dad. I, I love being the father to Caleb and Kendall. Caleb's here, and, and uh, his sister is at the Lee University Summer Honors Program for, for last week and this week. And uh, I miss her, especially on a day like today, I miss her. But, man, I just love being their dad. I do. And, and it is such a great honor. It's such a great privilege. But it is also one of the scariest things that I have ever had to do in my life. Any other dads agree with me? I mean, being a dad, there's a lot of responsibility with it. And, and, and I'm, uh, I just, every year that goes by, I think to myself, man, I'm honored, I'm blessed, but, but it's also a little nerve-wracking at times to think that I'm preparing them for adulthood. I'm preparing them to be, you know, citizens of our society. But more importantly, I, the responsibility falls on me to prepare them to stand before the Almighty, to stand before God the Creator. I, I have to prepare them for that. And so I, I'm telling you, it, 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 it is um, one of the scariest things that I've ever had to do is to be a parent. My mom and dad had four boys, and three of us are in the room right now. So I guess you could say that they had four chances to get it right. But the reality is, because we were all spread out in ages, I mean, my oldest brother was 17 years old um, and a senior in high school when I was born. That's why he looks as old as Methuselah. I mean, that's why he is. He is old. They had four chances, you'd think, but the reality is they had one chance with each child. We all know that. No two children are identical. No two children are raised the same. You, you have to, you know, cater the way that you would raise each child. And so they had one chance with each child. And we all do. We all have one chance with each child uh, that, that God blesses us with. And many of you, you are blessed to be able to make mistakes with the first one and improve with each child. I mean, that, that's how, anybody in the room, are you the oldest sibling in your family? The oldest sibling? Raise your hand. All of you that are old, old, the oldest siblings, you'll agree with this statement. You'll know this. You had it, you had a much rougher road than the younger siblings behind you, right? You know that. You know that. Mom and dad, they improve. They learn from their mistakes. All, I mean, by the, that's why I'm perfect. It's because mom and dad got it all figured out. <laughs> right. But you know, I don't have that luxury with twins. It hit me the other day. Bless their hearts, Caleb and Kendall, they are all, they're just both stuck at the same time. Being twins, I don't get to learn from my mistakes of the older one. I mean, they're only like 17 minutes apart. So, the, you know, we have to, to get it right and get it wrong, and they have to suffer the consequences of all that. But, but they do. They make us proud. And I love it when they excel. When Caleb and Kendall excel, I'm that dad that I'll jump on social media, and I'll begin you know, tweeting and, and posting to the world out there their accomplishments and what they've done. They make me really proud, and, and I'll be the first to brag on them. But it hit me. It hit me this week, the flip side of that. The flip side is I have come to realize that there is nothing greater, absolutely nothing greater than seeing a child 
brag about their father. When you see a child brag about their father, it is one of the most amazing moments. There's this army brat that was boasting about his father to a Navy brat. And he said, my dad is an engineer. He can build anything. Have you ever heard of the mountains known as the Alps? And the Navy kid said, yes, I have. And the army child said, well, my dad designed and built those mountains. And the, the Navy child said, and do you know the Dead Sea? And the army child said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, my dad killed it. <laughs> Dads, let me ask you something. Are we giving our kids anything to brag about? Think about it. Are we giving our children anything to brag about? It's a very sobering question. It is a question that will keep you up at night. It's kept me up at night. It's a question that, if you allow it to, it will bring conviction upon you. Listen, nothing I'm saying today do I want it to condemn. Condemnation is not from Christ, but conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's a very convicting statement. Am I giving my children anything to brag about? When they look at my life, is there anything in my life that, that makes them want to stand up and say, I'm proud of my dad for this? Especially when it comes to spiritual things. When it comes to my relationship with Christ, when it comes to my faith and my trust in him, am I giving them something to brag about? Because I'm troubled because society has, has skewed our values. When we look at society, every year we're getting deeper and deeper into this, this, this debt, this emotional debt, and, and we have got to learn to figure this thing out because, I mean, think about it. We once made jokes about Michael Jackson trying to become white. It was the punchline of all of our jokes. It's still frowned upon for a white woman to try and physically portray a black woman and the deceit that is all involved with that. I get it. But what troubles me is that we celebrate a grown man desiring to change his gender and become a woman. This troubles me. But worse than that, worse than, than Bruce Jenner becoming a woman, I am watching as more and more men relinquish their spiritual masculinity. That troubles me more than anything else is that there are men, there are men in this room that they are relinquishing their spiritual masculinity. And what's happening is that the kingdom of God is suffering because of this. It's sad to say that godly men are endangered of becoming extinct. Last weekend when we dropped Kendall off at Lee University for the Summer Honors Program, on Saturday night, we had some, some time to kill, some free time. The next morning, we were going to wake up and go to church, and then we would have to take her to registration at 3 o'clock at, at the university. And so Saturday night, we found ourselves in the hotel room just twiddling our thumbs. And, and so I said, why don't we go see a movie? Because I've been anticipating the release of Jurassic World. I don't know if anybody here has seen Jurassic World. Let me see your hands. Oh, praise God. Bless them, Lord Jesus. Bless them. I... 
I have been anticipating this movie because 22 years ago, I loved the original Jurassic Park. It, it was groundbreaking, and I, I absolutely loved that movie. And, and uh, you know, being a fan of that original movie, it, it was not just a good action movie. Um, when I watched the new one, it wasn't just a good action movie. It was a walk down memory lane because there were so many things in the movie that, that, that you know, glimpses back to the past. And, and I'm not going to, you know, give you any spoilers here, but, but in that original movie, I'll never forget that, that scene where, where they're sitting in, in the Jeeps, in the Jurassic Jeeps, and, and they pull onto that plane and they see dinosaurs for the first time. Animals that, that were extinct, and they see these animals for the first time in that original movie. There's something about the awe and the splendor of seeing a creature that you thought was extinct. And it seems to me that godly men are an endangered species. I mean, think about it. Where are the men that will make the hard choices to protect their families? You know, the choices that don't make you popular, but yet they're godly choices. Where are those men that will make those hard choices? Where are the men that will make time with their families and their wives and their children? Where are the men that will make that a priority over work? Where are the men that that stand and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Where, where are the men that do that? That no matter what, you don't try and keep up with the Joneses. You don't try and, and, and allow your kids to do what other kids are doing or, or you become like all the other parents. You don't do that. And no, no, no matter what happens, you have standards that you live by. Where are those men that leave their, lead their homes in that godly way? And I want you to know something. This problem didn't just start yesterday. So just because there was a, 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 a massacre, a shooting this week, and just because someone wants to change their gender, don't think for one second that this just started yesterday. It didn't. This has always been a problem. Since the beginning of humanity, we, we've looked at it, and, and a godly man has been an endangered species from the beginning. God has always had a hard time finding godly men. Psalm 12 and 1 says, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. Ezekiel 22 and 30 says, and I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Listen to Jeremiah 5 and 1 as the prophet says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. And then who can forget how in Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 through 33, where Abraham pleads with God not to destroy the city where his nephew Lot lives, the city of Sodom. God wanted to destroy that city for their wickedness. And Abraham knew it was a wicked city, but he pleads to God and says, God, if I find 50 righteous men, just 50 righteous men, will you spare the city? And God says, I will. Abraham knows the city. And he says, well, God, what about 45? What about 45 righteous men? God says, I will spare it. What about 40, God? What about 30? What about 20? God, what about 10? If I find 10 righteous men, will you spare the city? And God says, I will. But they could not find 10 righteous men in that city. Finding a righteous man, a godly man, 
It has been a problem since the beginning of humanity. But the good news for you today is that sprinkled throughout the scriptures, we do find godly men, men who are willing to make the hard decisions in life, men who are willing to lead their families and lead their cities, lead their nations. We find those men. And when you find those men, you also find the hand of God that is willing to protect them and the hand of God that is willing to bless them. And I'm convinced that if we find godly men today that will lead their homes under righteousness and lead their homes according to God's word, I believe that we too will fall under that protection. I believe too that we will fall under that blessing from God. God, touch us, Lord. Touch us that we've turned so far away from your scriptures, Lord. There are three main reasons why some men will not lead their homes in a godly way. And there's no doubt some of you are going to fall into these categories. Again, this isn't condemnation. This is the Holy Spirit convicting you. The first one is they simply have no desire. Just men that have absolutely no desire. They love their habits more than they love their families. They love their lifestyle more than they love their God. So they just don't have a desire. Or they cannot lead their home spiritually because their wives have spiritually demasculinized them. They won't allow them to. Women will not allow them to take their rightful place. And listen, I get it. Before it ever says, wives, submit to your husbands, it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a mutual submission that has to take place in marriage. But I wholeheartedly believe that as the lead and head of my household, according to God's word, I will stand before God one day and give an account for my household. I believe that. That is a pressure that is put on me. That is the reason why I tell you sometimes it's, I'm scared at times of the decisions I have to make. And I should be because they lead us to righteousness and to holiness or the third type of man is the ones that just don't lead because their wife and their kids simply know too much I mean after all how can you lead people that know all of your faults and men most of us in the room fall into that category it's because we know we know that they know too much They've seen us when we've lost our cool. They've watched us as we've panicked. They've seen us make the mistakes in our marriages and in our homes. And in our mind, it renders us useless. And I want you to know something. God is calling you out of that today, men. I want you to quit cowering down and believing the enemy's lies. Your children, your wife, They are holding out. They're holding on for the hope that you are going to step up and to guide them spiritually. And today is is just as good a day as any. Probably the best day for you to decide, hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Starting today, it's going to be a different household. And some of you men, you're going to get this today. It's going to sink deep inside of you. And your home is going to forever be changed because of that. It's time that we learn to leave with a limp, men. We're not walking perfect. There's only one who ever walked perfect, but we can learn to lead with a limp. We can learn that we may not get it right all of the time, but we get it right when it matters the most. That's what a godly man does. Every step may not be perfect, but at least it's in the right direction. That's what we need to learn. Leading with a limp, learning that we're not perfect, but we can lead our families to God. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 8. 
Luke chapter 8. As you turn to Luke chapter 8, in the verses right before where we're going to start reading at verse 40, Jesus had just visited the tombs of a particular city, and it was there that he, he delivered a demon-possessed man. And when Jesus talks to this, this, the demons within this man, he asks them their name, and they say, Our name is Legion, for we are many. Jesus delivers this man from these demonic forces that have been controlling his life. Think about it. He delivers this man, and now he can return back home and be a good father and be a good husband. And he walks away from that encounter and begins to enter the city. Verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he, had only, for, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said... Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the, of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. It's always amazing when I read Scripture and I figure out that Jesus knows people. Man, he's just got them figured out. Because the first thing that happens whenever he, he heals this girl is he charges them. He tells them, get the girl something to eat. Because how many of you know a 12-year-old girl is ready to eat about any time? Amen? You know that, right? It's amazing. The three things that this father did that we all need to do. Man, if you're not taking notes, take mental notes today because this is so important. Put these in your phone. Do something. Hold on to these three things that this father did that all fathers need to do. And God, give me strength to do these three things because this is so important. The first thing this father did is this father went to Christ. And I know that sounds so elementary. It sounds so simple. You knew when you were putting on your shoes to come to church this morning that somewhere throughout this day, somebody was going to point you to the cross. Somebody was going to point you to Christ, and they were going to tell you something this simple. But as simple as it is, it is one of the hardest things for us as men to do. It is one of the hardest things for us to walk out. 
A godly father will run to Christ during times of distress. But how many men do we see that run the opposite direction when the, when the going gets tough? Listen to me, men. Listen to me. You are not going to find Christ running from it. Running from your marriage, running from your home, that's not where you'll find Christ. You can't find Christ in the bottom of a bottle. You can't find Christ in one more pill. You can't find Christ by saturating yourself in work, hoping that the problem just goes away. That's not where a godly man finds Christ. Jairus leads us by example, and when he approaches Christ, he falls at his feet. Falls at his feet. Men, this is something that we need to learn to do, and we look at it as a sign of weakness. But I'm telling you, if we will ever get it through our minds to fall at the feet of Jesus, to, to hit our knees in prayer when the going gets tough, if we will ever learn to say, God, I'm crying out to you because I don't have all the answers, but God, I know that you do and you can fix my family. Jairus went to Christ. My father has always been a great example of what it means to have faith. When the times got tough, dad didn't run like a spiritual coward like I see so many men do. Growing up, my dad's study in the house was right across the hall from my bedroom. I remember the nights when I would hear not only through his closed door, but my closed door across the hall. I would hear my dad crying out to God in prayer, praying for his family, praying for his sons, praying for his church. You know what that did? It instilled into me that a godly man goes to Christ. When the going gets tough, a godly man will hit his knees and cry out to Christ. Dad hit his knees and he found Christ in the middle of the storm. And if you've ever been around my dad for any moment of time, you have probably heard him say a few, few quotes and sayings over and over and over. And, and, and one of those sayings that dad always says is, Anya Hashemika. Dad, I know somebody came up to you in between services as you were entering the room today and they said that to you because I had just preached it. But many of you have heard me say, or, or you've heard my dad greet you with Anya Hashemika. And for years, I wondered what it, what it is. I mean, my dad's a Pentecostal preacher. I didn't know if he was speaking in tongues or what, you know? I mean, <laughs> what I've come to learn is that it was Korean. My dad was in, in, in Korea. And, and so I, I think, I, I'm not even sure if he knows for sure, but he has greeted us for years with Anya Hashemika. Something he's always said. For years, my dad getting dressed on Sunday morning, getting ready for church, and he still does this to my mom today. He'll walk into the room wearing his sport coat, and he'll say, who's the best-looking man and why am I? <laughs> but one of the quotes that I'll never forget, and he has said it so many times, is that when there's trouble... On the horizon, my dad will look at you and say, God's bigger than what's the matter. He's always said it. It's because he's a man of faith. And he knows how to fall at the feet of Jesus in strength and not weakness. Dads teach your children where to find the answer. They find it in Christ. The second thing that this father did is he brought Christ into his home. I want you to put your, yourself in Jairus' shoes for a moment because 
He has Jesus' attention, and, and they're, they're going to his house. But then he gets the worst news of his life, uh, the worst news of his life, because Jesus stops to help a woman that has an issue of blood. He heals this woman who has been struggling with this infirmity for as long as his daughter has been alive. Twelve years. Twelve years this woman struggled with it, and for twelve years his daughter has been alive. To her, that woman, no doubt it was a lifetime, and it was a lifetime compared to this girl's life. But he stops to minister to and to heal this woman with the issue of blood. And as he is still talking to this woman, the Bible says that somebody comes up to him and says, you can let the teacher go, quit wasting his time because your daughter is dead. Now, I'm just telling you right now, I'm afraid if I'm Jairus, I don't respond the same way. Because if my daughter is sick and I know that Jesus has the power to heal her and you stop to minister to someone else and someone gives me the report that she's dead, I'm going to be furious. I'm going to be angry. And don't act like you've never been angry with God. And sometimes we act so holy sometimes. You've questioned God before. You've thought to yourself, God, why? Why is this happening? And I'm telling you, I would have been that person. I would have been the one that said, you could have healed her if you just would have just come on and, and not wasted time. Why did you waste time? But it didn't stop Jairus. Jairus still led Jesus to his home. Even after the news and the report of his daughter is now dead, he still leads Jesus to his home, which, which beckons this question here. Listen, men, listen close to me. Dads, is Christ welcome in your home? No, seriously, ask yourself that. Is Christ welcome in my home? Is he welcome in your home? Revelation 3 and 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus stands there knocking, men. He's knocking on the doors of our home. But the question is, is he welcome into our homes? problem is that we have so many skeletons in the closet and unmentionables in the cabinet that we feel that we can never open the door for Christ to come in. One of three things happened in Jairus' home. I know this. this. This had to happen. One of three things happened at his house. Either he cleaned house before he left to get Christ, or he was so desperate that he didn't care what Christ saw when he walked in the house, or he kept his house believer-proof. Oh, you've heard it said. You know, you know what child-proofing a house is. You know what that's like. You know, where you fix the cabinets where, where you know, they won't open. And, and you, you take your little whatnots that are on lower shelves and you move them up to higher shelves. You know, nobody under the age of 20 knows what a whatnot is. But it's okay. I was raised around them. I'll give a little, a little plug right here. Mandy and I are working on a, a parenting small group class that, that, that we're going to be leading hopefully soon. We, it's something we want to do in the fall. And uh, one of the things that we're going to help parents with is uh, applying Scripture and, and, and things to help them raise their children. Not that our children are perfect by any means, but, but I believe God has given us some insight on raising children and let me tell you one of the things. There's no extra charge for this. It has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon. We're not going to take up another offering or anything like that. But I, w I want you to get it. I want you to, to understand this. 
One thing we never did in raising our kids, we never move the breakable whatnots and things like that up to a higher shelf. It's going to catch some of you off guard. You ready for this? When their hands would reach for something like that, here's what we did. We popped their little hands. Oh, we did. We did. We popped their hands. Oh, I know. I know it's cruel. It's punishment that should not be bestowed upon a child. I get it. I understand it. But they don't touch things today they're not supposed to touch. At 17 years old, they still don't touch things today. You better not be touching things today that you're not supposed to touch, son. I'll still pop your hand. And I'll pop you upside the head if I have to. You've heard of child-proofing a house. Maybe we should keep our houses believer-proof, proof that a believer actually lives there. That if Christ were to walk through our door, there's nothing to be ashamed of because it's believer-proof. Proof that a believer is living in that house. The third thing that this father took the lead on was that he took the spiritual lead. This father took the spiritual lead. He didn't wait on his wife to do it. Today, we've got way too many men that are taking the back seat spiritually, and you're, you're allowing your wives to, to, to lead your household spiritually. And women, listen to me. I thank God for you. Some of you are the greatest prayer warriors, and your families are in church today because of your faithfulness. Don't change that. Don't change that. Thank God for you. But men, it's time that you stand up, put on the spiritual pants, and start acting like the spiritual head of household of your family. And Jairus didn't, didn't wait on his wife to do it. Verse 51 and verse 56 tell us that there was a mother in the picture. It tells us that. The mother was there. But Jairus didn't wait on his wife to go and get Jesus. No, this man was on a mission to not only find Christ, kneel down before Christ, but to take Christ back to his house. To say, Christ, you are welcome in our home. And that's where we've got to get men today. We've got to get them back to that place to where we will pursue Christ first and let our families follow us. In his book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, author David Morrow offers us some heartbreaking information. He tells us that the typical U.S. church congregation draws an adult crowd that is 61% female and 39% male. On any given Sunday, there are 13 million more adult women than men in America's churches. 13 million more. This Sunday, almost 25% of married, church-going women will worship without their husbands. And over 70% of the boys who are being raised in church will abandon it during their teens and their 20s, never to return again. Men, if we want our children to turn to Jesus, we must let them see the value of a relationship with Christ. We must. It's not a maybe. It's a must. We must allow them to see in our lives the value of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, men, one more question I've got to ask you. What do you value? And don't give me lip service here. That's not what I want. What do you value? If, if I was to ask your wife and your kids, what does your husband or your father value? What would they say? What would their answer be? Because whatever you invest your time, your talent, and your treasure in, that is what you, you value. And men, it might be something completely different than what you think that you value. And so if I ask your family, 
What does your husband or what does your father, what, do, what does he value? What would their answer be? My wife and kids, I hope and I pray that first and foremost, they know that I value my relationship with Jesus Christ above anything else. This is foreign to some of you. Some of you that are new to the faith, you don't understand it when I say something like that. But you need to understand my relationship with Jesus Christ is more important than my relationship with my wife. My relationship with Jesus Christ is more important than my relationship with my children. And when you get that right, when you get that divine order right in your life, everything's going to fall into place. My wife knows she's, she's second in my life. She is. She's behind Jesus Christ. My kids, they are third equally. Well, not this week. Caleb's at home and Kendall's away at college, uh, you know, for two weeks. So this week I love Caleb more. But I hope, I hope and pray that they know that I value my relationship with Jesus Christ above all. And through the years, I've had to make some hard decisions that some of you, you don't get, you don't understand. And it's simply because I want my children to put Jesus Christ first in their life. A few weekends ago, My son was with the high school basketball team playing in a tournament, a weekend tournament in Williston. It's interesting because this time last year I almost told the same exact story. That he was playing in Williston and my son, I'm very proud of him. I told you, I'll brag on my kids, I will. I'm very proud of him. Last year he started every varsity basketball game as a junior at Newberry High School. Started every varsity basketball game except one. And that one game that he didn't start in, he went to the coach and said, you can let this senior that never gets to play, you can let him start on senior night in my position. He approached the coach and did that. Man, if that doesn't make you proud, what will? And Saturday, the first day of this tournament, they had a few games and Caleb was putting up some, some good numbers. I think he had 15 or 16 points in one game, 18, 19 in another game putting up some, some good numbers. His, his scoring average was, was up there. But you know, it never became a topic of discussion on them advancing to Sunday morning. There was no argument. Now listen, I know teenagers. I was a youth pastor for nine years. I was a teenager at one time. I know how a young man's mind thinks. And if I was having those kind of games that he was having, I'm, I'm going to sit down with my dad and I'm going to say, listen, we need to talk because my, my team is depending on me tomorrow for this tournament. My team needs me and, and my scoring average. Look, you know, dad, we need, we need to, is there something else we can do, you know? It never became a topic of discussion. Caleb knew. On Sunday mornings, we're in church. And after you attend first service, then you can drive to Williston and you can join your team. I'll tell you, there's another young man in my life. 
that God has created him to be like a second son to me, and his name's Marcus. And I, Marcus, I was so proud of you. For the past two years, the same tournament, you've made that same decision in your life to wait and attend first service before you go and join your team and play basketball. Some of you, you don't get it. You don't understand it. I'm not pushing this on you. This is conviction for my family. We believe in the Sabbath day and we believe in keeping it holy. We believe in recreation on the Sabbath. But before we participate in recreation, we participate in worship. And I'll tell you, those two guys were here on that Sunday morning for first service. Then they got in his truck. And I'm not asking how fast he drove. I don't need to know. But they got over there, made it in time for the fourth quarter. And my son put up five points in that fourth quarter. Yeah, it brings a scoring average down. But let me tell you what I'm more interested in than building his scoring average. I'm more interested in building a young man that loves Jesus Christ and honors him. That's what I'm more interested in. And I just believe, men, that when I stand before God, he will judge me on that and not how many points my son averaged in a basketball game. I just believe that. And so, men... Jairus leads us by example. He leads us. We've got to learn to turn to Christ first and foremost before anything else. We've got to make sure our homes are ready to receive him. And then we've got to take the lead and not expect these wonderful blessings called women that God has put in our lives. Don't put that, that, that burden on them to lead your home spiritually. You take on that burden. You're created to bear that burden, to bear that load. Accept that responsibility and do it. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.